0: Hi, you're listening to We Make Media, a podcast about how the culture we produce shapes media and how that goes both ways. I'm here today with technologist, writer, and artist, An Chao-Mina. An leads strategy and operations at Medine, a technology nonprofit that builds software for newsrooms and NGOs to improve the quality of information online. She's currently writing her next book with Jason Lee and Jennifer Aitley, titled Hanmoji Handbook, a book about learning Chinese through emoji from MIT Press. I've asked her to talk to me today about her book, Memes to Movements, How the World's Most Viral Media is Changing Social Protest and Power.
1: Hi, An, how are you? I'm good, good. Thanks, Karen, so much for having me.
0: Yes, thank you so much for this book. It's uh, wonderful to have great observations about memes and the roles that they play in social movements be in one place. It's, It's quite the resource. So can you tell me just a bit about how you define memes in the book? I've always understood memes in the past to just be a viral idea you get into a little bit more of, of really uh, how the role that it plays in in culture um, and what kind of memes that you outline because you outline different kinds of memes in the book
1: well you know like memes I think I think you're right I think it, it's these kind of um, you know Richard Dawkins was the you know, philosopher and thinker who coined the word meme um, as this idea of um He was looking for an idea for like how culture spreads in a way that's similar to genes or genetics, um, that it it kind of shapes and evolves over time. And so combined the words um, for um, mimesis or copying with with gene and got the word meme. Um, And so a meme is a unit of culture um, in in kind of this Dawkins worldview. Uh, But there's a kind of whole discourse in kind of Internet studies uh, circles um, that seeks to define meme, Internet memes in in a slightly separate way. Um, because obviously, like uh, memes have kind of evolved, you know, as a meme itself, right? This idea of like a unit of culture and how that can spread across the internet, um, and so amongst like certain like internet studies folks, there's there's actually an effort to say, well, okay, there's a Dawkins sense of meme, but on the internet, this is what we mean. We mean, um, and and I like Amanda Brennan's definition. She's a Tumblr meme librarian, and she talks about it as uh, you know digital media um, that um, is shared amongst um, users or community. Um, and it's kind of transforms along the way um, and changes. And so, um, and that, that kind of matches uh, very closely to Limor Schiffman's definition. Limor Schiffman is uh, one of the seminal scholars on um, on meme culture and, and memetics um, in, in academia. And and basically, there, there's like these three major components, um, which is one is the is piece of digital media. Two is the idea that there's a community that is sharing it. Um, But three, in addition, then, is is that they're shaping and transforming as it goes along. And so it's not just being, like, shared widely. um, It's also being changed. And, And so... Uh, we can complicate that definition, but it's it's like a good foundation for kind of like what what are we talking about when we talk about memes? In the book, I actually try to take a more expansive view on memes, kind of looking at you know kind of history of media and remix in general. Because um, I, in the book itself, like I of course I'm going to dive into internet memes. Um, so I look at selfie memes, um, I look at video memes, I look at hashtag memes, I look at image memes, and the kind of common view of of memes is that they they might be an image what we call an image macro. Is like a picture with like a big block of text above a big block of text below but what i'm trying to do with the book is is say well okay that's an example that's an image macro but if we look at this definition we say digital media that is shaped and transformed um, um, amongst the community that actually enables a lot of different things including gifs tiktok videos all these things and so we have to really be looking at this as kind of holistic kind of view of what of what uh, can constitute a meme
0: right because yeah then you get into um alluding there to just like the creation of a much larger narrative whether it's a silly or serious one i mean it's interesting i I just, just to some context from from my work so for 15 years i facilitated workshops under the banner of culture jamming so essentially using collage to interact with ubiquitous messages that found in media um and similar to memes they can be serious or silly um and there's always some kind of uh disappointment often in the teachers or 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 in the uh, in the person that's hosting me um when the silly ones come right because sometimes it's a, a fart bubble on the prime minister which i think is brilliant <laughs> And, and they're kind of like, oh, sorry, look at this other student's work Who who's done some really wonderful counter narrative about, you know, data capitalism or something, <laughs> something really deep, you know, and I'm like, oh, they're you know, either one is fine as long as you're as long as you're interacting with it and, you know, taking less of a passive stance. But I always start off the workshop with a slideshow of Mona Lisa's. So we look at the Mona Lisa then we look at Marcel Duchamp's mustache on the Mona Lisa and then we start getting into all of these all of these pictures of her in comics and shoveling snow. But only in the last four or five years, before I get to the third or fourth image, someone yells out, oh, we're making memes. Cool. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm always sitting there going, huh, yes, we're making propaganda in ways that subvert and use the tools of propagandists or media makers or advertisers or the textbooks or flags or whatever. But... It's not iterative or co-collaborative. I mean, it is, but it's only one iteration, like, if, if that makes sense. And it's much more subtle as as opposed to a meme is, you know, hopefully quite uh, overt or, like, to the point kind of thing. I know that you are, you know, you you talk a lot in the book and, and you clearly have a, an extensive knowledge of, like, remix and mashup culture. So can you help me <laughs> to answer this question? Like, where does it overlap and where does it... Where does it diverge? What is, what is, what is different about it? I, I don't know that it's significantly
1: different. I think the work you're doing with culture jamming, the work you've been doing in media literacy, um, it is the work of media. Um, in the book itself, I, I look at, um, I always like looking thinking about pre-internet memes. And, and one of the ones I was like, well, if you look at these Kate paintings in Lascaux, you see um, images of cats drawn on the, on the walls and they are remixed. Their shape-change. You can see that they're different work of different artists. And they're even animated. Um, like, their emergent research is, like, that they are supposed to be, like, seen in, in, like, flickering torchlight. And so you kind of have animated GIFs, cats, from 40,000 years ago. And so right. what I try to argue in the book is that memes are enabled by technology um, and that we, as, a, you know, in a technological society that's using the Internet, They're going to take on a specific form it's exactly like what you're saying like they might be a little more overt they might move faster the remix might be faster the mashup might be faster the communities are also broader they're more diverse right you know you do a culture jamming workshop in a classroom um, the audience is going to be just that classroom and, and maybe a broader community if you do it on the streets if you do street art your audience is going to be the people who are in that neighborhood And, uh, but, you know, one of the first analogies I used for memes um, is this idea that memes are the street art of the internet. And I I really meant that because, um, again, what I saw is like a lot of the practices of street art. And, of course, street art, that extends to, um, you know, the days of Rome and Pompeii. And and so um, uh, I, I think of these as a continuum of how we use media, how we remix media and reshape media, and what I really appreciate about the work you do with um, with media literacy and working with uh, with students and, and kids who are thinking about media is um, is that that critical lens that we bring to media we need to apply that just as much to memes. We need to think about okay, what is the message being sent? What are the tools being used? How can we uh, shift the message or think about culture and, and and kind of be thinking about what's effective, what's not? Um, I I don't know that there's significant difference. Beyond the fact that the internet is an, is an important mediator when we think about internet memes today,
0: right? Interesting. New media is old media, right? But um, yeah, maybe I, I don't need to make uh, the distinction. It's <laughs> not really that important.
1: Um, I think. I think there is some usefulness to thinking about memes in terms of um, the affordances of the internet. I think um, mm. if we think about the, the medium on which memes spread, right? We often think, okay, is this is an image. Is this is a video. But I think if we expand our sense of what is what is the landscape of the meme, um, it could be that it's, uh, it's in an environment that has a lot of likes and hearts, right? It's an algorithmic environment. Or maybe these things are spreading through um, WhatsApp channels and, and on private social media. And so just like are we thinking about the subway for our street art or are we thinking about the, the kind of wheat paste on the side of the street, putting something on the sidewalk? It's the it's the affordances of the the landscape that we also yeah. need to be aware of, and so so I do think there are some meaningful differences, but it's more in the right. landscape, right? It's it's, it's how right. how and why are these things spreading, and so um, uh, thinking about like where what is the platform in which it's happening. And the platforms can be quite important for understanding the context.
0: I love that. That's that's very important, I think, for many media literacy educators to understand. Because I think, I mean, what you, what I basically heard from what you're describing there is site specificity, right? I mean, what an artist talks about, okay, this wall versus that wall. I mean, they're two different walls. And we don't tend to think, and particularly perhaps adults, but I mean, as well as young people, because they're the fish inside the media, you know, like just not even necessarily, I mean, we all are, but but certainly young people even more so uh, might need some support in unpacking it or stepping back and looking at what's happening but that yeah that not all social media is all the same like all of these sites are different all of these things have different algorithms different functions different culture um, and different relationship with language uh, which you talk about um, and and this again reminds me of of some of the posters the political posters that I always talk about with students uh, that from from Eastern Europe where they're where they're where they're making a very subtle change and uh, and what I'm referring to is what, what you talk about in terms of uh um, the visual memes ability to subvert censorship um, uh, to elude censorship and to and to and to subvert um uh you know v- political propaganda particularly in the context of the firewall in in China um, where it's important for one's safety that the symbols and the uh, memes being spread are set like very subtle and sometimes indistinguishable from the dominant narratives because there's safety in that, um, as opposed to using a word. Can you, can you, can you speak a little bit about how you, how you get into that in the book?
1: Yeah. So, so in the book, um, yeah. And this is part of that. I think if we, I like this idea of site specificity, by the way, it's, uh, if we, if we think about like a digital site specificity, like, Mm -hmm. and, and mapping out affordances of our digital, digital environments and sites, like what, what would we learn? And I think mm. a lot of the, the genesis for the book was because of my research in China, um, because the, the internet there ostensibly is very similar, right? Um, but, uh, you know, you, you have like things that look like Twitter, things that look like Facebook, you have kind of things that look like they're going viral, and they are. But the affordances are slightly different because um, in China, a lot of the, um, all social media platforms are accountable to, to state like um, censorship rules and, and regulations, and so it can be very difficult to talk about certain topics, like, um, such as uh, um, such politically sensitive topics um, or, or even about censorship itself. And so one of, one of the memes I look at is um, in the book is, is, uh, is the grass mud horse, um, which is a, um, it's a, it looks like a llama. It's a mythical beast. Um, in It's one of the, the kind of 10 mythical beasts of the internet. And it, it's a kind of classic meme creature. Um, it's just kind of funny llama dancing around. But it's called the grass mud horse because in Chinese, uh, the zhaonima is, uh, is uh, the grass mud horse. But it sounds like a lot like the word for "f your mother" in Chinese. And um, and the reason it's about effing your mother is because it's about effing internet censorship. It's about saying, you know, "f you internet censorship." And uh, and its its mortal enemy is the river crab, uh, which is this little crab walking around. And that's because the um, the word Chinese word for river crab sounds like the word for harmony in Chinese. And and uh, there's a whole f- um, governing philosophy from the former president, Hu Jintao, around the harmonious socialist society um, and creating harmony in society. And and one of the ways that expressed itself was on the internet. And a harmonious internet is one that's censored, um, the one that's uh, um, censored of political dissent at least. So watching the grass mud horse and how it had to shape and transform, how... Sometimes it was a llama. Sometimes it was like a funny character. It was like different pictures of llamas. It was, sometimes it was a toy, a T-shirt. Different ways of referencing this. Um, it was very clear that the the image itself and the meme itself was adapting, as the censorship environment was adapting. And so um, it um, uh, remind, you know got me thinking a lot about what how does the the political stances and affordances of a digital space. How does that then shape mimetic expression within that space? And I think um, China is the most evocative and rich example because it has such a developed internet um, uh, that is looks very different from the Silicon Valley model. Um, but you know, like if we look globally, we can we can kind of look at and study all these dynamics. One thing I'll just uh, note about the grass mud horse thinking about culture jamming, right? It's no longer subversive. and and I, it's an important story to tell because I started writing about it in two thousand and eleven. Uh, scholars were writing about it in 2009. So it's, it's had almost a decade of history now, um, about a decade of history, more than a decade of history. And interestingly, like recently, I was kind of poking around on, on Weibo, which is like the uh, uh, kind of Twitter-like uh, service on on in China. And I noticed a grassman horse was one of the official emoji, um, like, um, you know, buttons. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And I thought this was like uh, sensitive, and you know, it, it, as I kind of looked around, it it's it pretty clear what was happening was it was being reclaimed. Um, yeah. You know, that the culture jamming can go in both directions. Mm-hmm. Was yeah, just turned into a puerile pun, and not about what it was supposed to be. And and that's the risk of subversion, of yeah. course. It's coded subversion is that that itself can be subverted, because it's coded, so that the, the recoding can happen, and suddenly you have just a you know just a silly pun, and and it doesn't really have the kind of the, the teeth it used to have. So um and it did it did
0: successfully deflate that looks like it yeah but is it does it not um fundamentally stay citizen driven despite that there might be like lateral violence or vitriol or or cooptation um uh, is it possible, I mean, that kind of seems like a, perhaps a, an example of it, but is it possible to astroturf it? Like, you know, because corporations have not done well. They've tried to, right? And are like, let's put out a fun hashtag or a meme and see, and people are like, no. Like, it's just something about fundamentally at the core of it that doesn't work because you, it's just not, it's something that is um, not always good, you know, can certainly be filled with violence or, or you know, uh, empower hateful messages or or spread uh, hateful messages. But at the same time, it's always uh, individual citizen-driven love or hate or humor um, that it doesn't seem to
1: work from top down. Uh, Is is that right? Well, I think um, top down, it doesn't work necessarily. But if we think about the Old Spice guy, um, and uh, um, it is actually possible for a brand or corporation to create like kind of these... These really funny things that um, that uh, are then like kind of brought into life b bts is you know they're the kind of korean pop band is another one like super they're super big on on meme culture they're, they're very much like lots of money lots of media power and so the the possibilities are still there right it is possible for those in power or with access to capital to kind of utilize the kind of strategies uh, that are often developed by by people on the ground right um, I mm-hmm. think about um, how much street art can sell for these days. Um, mm-hmm. like um, uh, w- Street art once so subversive and continues to be subversive is also sold for millions of dollars in in, in fancy galleries. Um, and mm-hmm. so it, the, the fact that there, there is a, a kind of um, use of this by those in power doesn't negate the fact that, that people can still find subversive uses. But mm-hmm. I think it's an important part of media stories is to remember that uh, the kind of that which is subversive um, can can be learned, um can be adapted. Yeah, right. it's a it's a constant um, uh, kind of back and forth and and dialogue and and kind of and so i always in the book, I often talk about making sure we understand power and intent um in the in the meme creation because um, it's not yeah none of it is absent of, of power and intent as well so
0: most definitely yeah well you de- you you start the book off with talking about um cats and you know the internet's obsession with cats but also humans relationship with cats pre-internet and um and you you liken it to um you make a brilliant parallel between that and essentially marginalized narratives and underrepresented groups um and the democratization and and you know participatory media landscape that have made it possible for the made space or sp- folks have made sp- space for themselves um, to be seen, so it's not really that 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 there weren't cat lovers before the internet. It's that cat lovers weren't empowered, <laughs> you know, to connect with each other and say, "Hey, we're here and we love cats." <laughs> um, so,
1: um, yeah, we were living in this kind of—I call it like a dog media hegemony or canine media hegemony. And um, and it's, I, you know, again, I love dogs. I, I'm a big, big dog fan. But it's <laughs> like we made uh, the internet made room for more of this of cat media too, and so. Uh, so yeah. And, and that's, you know, this, this, you know, what you're saying, like, um, when you're working with students is like, well, the silly is actually very serious, too. There, there's always, there's always some reason behind why things will spread virally, because it's, uh, uh, it's always, there's always like something deeper. It's not, it's never just a uh, a joke, because jokes, of course, reflect society and values and so
0: well yeah and i guess it is, like you were saying the things can the two things can exist parallelly but I, I guess i'm always still amazed that we could probably name hundreds of, of viral things that aren't you know and there's there's only a few old spice or or whatever there's a lot of failed marketing attempts i'm sure you know there's a lot of like we have got to leverage this <laughs> so it's like oh my god that blew up in our face mind you you talk about um, you know, one of the most uh, uncooptable, perhaps, and and dangerous memes of of the last, I guess, decade, four or five years, uh, which is the uh, MAGA, make America uh, great again. But can you talk a bit about celebrity and the the role celebrity plays uh, plays in this? Because unlike,
1: well, I think it's it's not just relevant that Trump was a celebrity; it's it's a specific type of celebrity that he is. Um, which is a, um, first he came out of, the you know, kind of tabloid culture in the 80s in New York, and then became a reality television star and and, and also a uh, world wrestling uh, um, federation star, right? So it's a particular type of celebrity he is, which is a networked celebrity, an influencer, before we understood that word as influencer, um, rather than a kind of like the, the kind of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger type kind of in big media, um, and so that's the type of celebrity that we, um, again, thinking about the kind of merging of silly and serious that is very easy to dismiss. Cause it, it's just like, okay, this guy, you know, he's just blabbing along, firing people on TV, you know, going on wrestling shows, but over long periods of time, he becomes relatable. It becomes an omnipresent brand. He has books, he has like um, buildings, he has, uh, you know, um, uh, all kinds of like marketing materials. And so, um, and that's what modern influencer marketing is, is all about is, is making people, famous people, feel relatable, um, yeah. and uh, and make it look like they're effortless, effortlessly relatable, right? Um, but beyond Kim Kardashian is a whole army of people who are who are building that brand. Um, so, um, so I I, uh, I think that it is absolutely connected uh, the MAGA um, and um, and the fact that Trump is a uh, is a reality star uh, tele- um, a president. Um, in the same way that Reagan and um, uh, and Nixon were were television presidents, um, and so um, I I think this is really the beginning um, of of, a, of what we should expect out of politics, which is more more kind of um, merging of reality television dynamics with um, the halls of power, and um, it's something we should be paying attention to because it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like a propaganda. It doesn't look like Um, kind of the kind of media that governments have always made in the past Um, but it very much is uh, kind of state power merging with contemporary media environments.
0: Yeah that's so interesting the danger of that you know we know when a a, a car advertisement is trying to sell us a car it becomes a lot uh, more difficult from a media literacy standpoint to really decipher what the intentions are and who benefits from it and and all of those kinds of things um Within the context of yeah, celebrities being accessible, but still not any less of a brand um, than than before. Again, the cats thing is just yeah, it's such such a brilliant like analogy that you pull there because it's it's so true that that yeah that there's 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 lots of there's lots of people who love cats. I'm not particularly one of them, but again,
1: <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> I love cats too, by the way. And that's it was kind of um the the kind of evolution of my relationship with my cats that. That got me thinking about this was like, okay, you know, cats, and you know, everyone at school was talking about dogs, and uh, and then but then you know, then digital cameras came around, and I was like, oh, I can start taking pictures of the cat, and then the internet started, you know, like being more popular, I can upload pictures of cats, and mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, it was, it was it was kind of it was just an interesting process, To and then now again, talking about kind of co optations of power, we now have cat celebrities we now have cats making millions of dollars, make way more than uh, than, than a lot, most humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah. And so there, there's always, there, you know, and anything that's like uh, kind of punk rock eventually, you know, kind of um, uh, gets, finds a business model <laughs> and kind of takes mm-hmm. off. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's always interesting to watch.
0: Yeah. There's been some great, some unbelievable, um, unbelievably hilarious and poignant and uh, just satirically biting uh pandemic memes is there any one that's your particular favorite
1: (laughs) there's so many pandemic memes I mean I I I got really interested in all the uh uh the kind of wash your hands uh kind of um memes that were being made like the dancing Mm -hmm. videos like how how to wash your hands um but there's there's so many um and I think the 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 challenge with uh with the pandemic meme because the pandemic is such a unique generational event Um, Mm. and then it kind of hits us within kind of this moment of meme culture. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm having trouble, to be honest, I'm having trouble keeping track because there's just so many, so many going on. But Mm. um, I've been interested in the ones that are like helping us learn new behaviors. Um, because, right. you know, like like washing hands, wearing masks. How do you talk to people who aren't wearing masks? Like those kind of awkward situations, right? right. And it's kind of perfect for TikTok material, to be honest. It's like how do you, mm. navigating this new world and uh, and negotiating the new social norms um, Is uh, seems ideal for, um, especially because we're all digital right now. You know, like um, mm. uh, it's the only, it's one of the only places where we have, gatherings, uh, you know, in a a meaningful way.
0: Latin American ones are just like to die for. I mean, they're hilarious, but they're also, you know, they've got so many layers um, in terms of um, what COVID has brought to a head, but that was already there. So there's all this stuff that's just, you know, that's really about... Uh, globalism and re- you know relationship between the global south and the north or whatever and and just like yeah hilarious stuff about industry but they're a little different as well I, I wondered what you thought about the meme the meme that doesn't get iterated so in the case of of a, of just a just a meme that gets shared a lot um, but that that doesn't necessarily isn't interactive in the same way of the the process like some of the ones that I've seen they're almost like citizen. You know, instead of letter to the editor, if you were if you were able to to draw the satirical comic in the newspaper, um, you know, except for it was all driven by by people, uh, you know, um sending them in. But they're not, um, they're quite shareable, but they're not necessarily ones that are uh, inviting or engaging a lot of
1: people in actually changing them.
0: W- what is that? Is that a particular type of meme or is there, is there something?
1: I mean, so, so in meme, an in internet kind of studies kind of communities and um, there's like this distinction between a meme and a thing that goes viral. Um, mm-hmm. but, and so uh, I kind of, uh, an internet, some internet studies scholars will say, okay, that thing that's spreading that's not being remixed it, that's just a that's a viral object that's just being just kind of uh, going out there. But but of course it's 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 actually re- pretty rarely um, that the case that you have this kind of pure thing that is just going viral. Um, and uh, um, because in the end, like people are responding to it in some way. People eventually clicks with them and like okay, I'm going to make this other thing. Um, so um, uh, so I, I, don't, I think um, I often think of that as just like an indicator that something is popular. Um, yeah. But um, you know, we think about the, you know, and again, it, it's interesting to just like dig into that world vi- viral, especially right now during the middle of the pandemic. A thing can spread and like kind of go all over the place, but it's still mutating. That's what viruses do; they mutate, and and yeah. so that's part of the the risk right now with the with the pandemic. Um, and and I think that's also true of media. Like a, a thing can spread, and it seems like it's not changing or being remixed or mashed up. But if you if you dig in, it's it's pretty rare to find something that's just like purely being shared. It's almost there's almost always people responding to it. Um in some right. in some fashion. It's
0: always coming out the other end somewhere in some different a different context, even it's it's already yeah, it's got a bit of a different connotation, let alone if it's retweeted with comment.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you look at the object itself, maybe it's just it seems to be isolated, but the thing about the internet, the internet is a discursive uh, space, and and so um, there's always, there's al- al- almost always a response in some fashion if if it has sufficient views, of course, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, you mentioned um, the, the the K-pop. They have done some great work um, hijacking problematic hashtags or or from from communities interested in spreading hate, and they have done a great job of using this silly to take the wind out of some seriously problematic stuff. What happens this back and forth? Um, yeah.
1: What's, what's going on there? Well, I talk about it that we're in this period of mimetic contention um, mm-hmm. and uh, um, meaning um, like, yeah, BTS will like lead a thing, um, but then, you know, then you'll, you'll get uh, a group finding another way to, uh, to shape culture. And so, you know, I think when the internet was, you know, when we think about some of the kind of early narratives of the internet, it was this idea, oh, it's going to change the world for the better. You Look at all these, like, movements, like the Arab Spring and Occupy Wall Street um, that are uh, kind of taking to the streets. Um, without kind of looking at, like, what the, the kind of response might look like, what what happens when those in power, those accustomed to the status quo, are seeing these changes and like, well, they don't, what if, what if the those... Prefer, what are there people who prefer the status quo or want to react against that? What is the reactionary right. movement? And so, um, and I think that this is also just important, I think, in general in media histories to, to look right. at that because it often plays out in decades. You can kind of trace media responses and movement responses. And in so many ways, like the internet, because of its speed, has compressed that, but it's still happening. It's still this kind of moment of contention that we're in uh, where we're re- renegotiating our values as a society. I think uh, just take the United States alone, uh, you have a pandemic, you have a ma- massive racial justice movement. You also have a massive um, uh, white supremacist movement at the same time. These are not disconnected. Um, they're in fact uh, responding to each other in so many ways. Um, and and so um, it, again, like I guess it's, it's a point of contention um, or, or um, uh, using memes and, that, and that's just like one example. but it's uh, that's what it feels like at least yeah in this moment
0: you know you you kind of map the trajectory of some of some really successful social justice uh, movements and how they relate to mimetic uh, uh, culture and spreading of of ideas and values and um but then you also talk about you know this 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 back and forth that happens from the counter movement and the trying to co-opt it and the changing the the hashtags and, and you talk about how this creates the chaos magic um that uh, lends itself to further uh, cement issues that we have currently about deciphering what is true and what is false. And um, is there any danger
1: in mixing up the silly and the serious? Yeah, there's absolutely like risks. I think one of the big risks right now, um, you know, just thinking more broadly is like, is how are we negotiating truth and, and understanding of like what reality is, right? And if, um, if, we can't as a society agree on the basic facts around climate change um, um, and the current state of the environment, how can we move forward? Like the the whole idea of, of democracy, of kind of international unity, these, these ideas are based on the idea that we could have some common reality and some common values. But if, if, um, if we're in this moment of contention right now, renegotiation of values, um, renegotiation of reality even, um, that, that feels to me like a, an incredibly dangerous moment at the same time. Um, and so that's why it's super critical we understand how these things work. Um, so we can say, well, here's what's going on, it's not accidental, one. Two, we can learn these things. And three, um, in this particular moment in time that we are in history, um, it's, our, it's very hard for us to come to consensus. Um, Penny Andrews, a uh, media scholar in, in Leeds, calls it digital dissensus. Um, mm. and, uh, and I, and I think, um, uh, that's, it feels like that's the moment we're in, is, um, mm. is, uh, um, because to me what that means is not just, like, the death of truth, but the death of agreement, on like, the modes and mechanisms by which we've been come to agree on, on what, what, uh, what shapes our realities. Mm, I love that, death of agreement.
0: Or just this idea of this double-edged sword of, uh, amazingly important, uh, especially driven by, uh, you know, traditionally folks who were marginalized from roles of expert and and um, and ideas of education as you know as as reinforcing oppressive roles of expertise. It's this amazing revolution comes along and it's like expertise is bullshit. And then it's like, but then we get into situations now where it's like, but expertiseism is bullshit. And it's like, well, wait a second. You know, they took critical thinking, for God's sake. I used to go in and, and write on the chalkboard, question everything. And now I would never do that because it's dangerous as hell, you know. But I mean, this is almost, I don't know if it's an inevitable part of the democratization of, of, of knowledge, is that then then how do you define what is an expert, especially if you have no reverence for elders, it's a part of dismantling old power systems, but then it just, it also, yeah, it leaves us without an agreement, you know? And we're like, okay, but what, what can
1: we agree on? I, I, I often think like di- disinformation, it loves a vacuum uh, because, you know, that the the I, I totally agree, like, we, you know, this idea of questioning everything. Uh, it, it, right, it seems like it, that, that, it used to be great. It used to be like, okay, we're gonna challenge all power structures. They're like, whoa! And then it's you know, uh, because when you create that vacuum, um, then, um, if we're not like talking about the values that maybe you should be there instead, maybe if we're not talking about other ways that we can um, be thinking about, um, yeah, society, right? Um, cent- you know, centering the marginalized, thinking about human rights, uh, thinking about these things, right? And but instead, our, um, if we create these vacuums of information, then stuff's got to fill it, and so. Um, It it feels like that next stage, and and I feel like that's exactly the stage we're in um, in in so much of the world, is saying, okay, what is the new way of doing things? What is the new value system? What are the agreements? Um, And and in this moment, it's a moment of the most incredible opportunity, um, but also the most dangerous because um, a lot of of, uh, folks are realizing that too and so
0: yeah the potential of exhausting that 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 participation in civic political discourse is the i guess is the potential that we or the danger in it it's not, like why it matters that we figure out <laughs> something to put in yeah there's so many moments right now that just p- people are aren't equipped like i've just heard so many people complain even about the awkwardness of having to ask about whether someone wants to wear a mask or this or that, or whether you can get close to them, and I'm like, this is, you know, like, this is an opportunity to practice consent culture, right? And to get comfortable with, with you know, it's okay to ask someone what they feel comfortable with. <laughs> it's not like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Like, this is so awkward. Like, I should be able to just assume or what, you know, it's like, it's, it's okay. It's new. It's different. It feels uncomfortable because you're used to making a bunch of assumptions. But maybe there were other things that, you know, like, just like when you make, you know, things accessible for one group, they, you know, you notice that they become accessible for a bunch of other groups as well, you know, because they these things are are connected. Um, it highlights
1: for me, like like I think the work of like social justice and media literacy work, right? It, it's so often thought of, it places an afterthought, right? It's 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 so at least in the U.S., it's rarely part of the core curriculum. It's, it's always been like science, technology, math, right? STEM. You know, like uh, let's focus on these basics, right? But the, the things you're talking about—that's that's that's how politics is. It's it's and that's what society is right now, and and so. The fact that people are nervous and trying to understand how to negotiate these realities for you are like, oh, yeah, it's totally just, con- you know, it's totally consent culture is an opportunity, right? It makes me wish that we had ways, we had these discourses, these, these kind of conversations about um, literacy around social justice much earlier. Because um, it... It could help. It could certainly help with this moment, right? If, if we've been grappling with disparities in um, in access to, to healthcare, disparities in, um, in in how people respond to the news, like all of these things are not new. They're just made apparent by the moment. And so, um, I, I hope I hope one of the outcomes of this moment is a recognition of the importance of of uh, people like you, like you, and the work you do. Um because um uh that that's exactly what we're what we need right now is people understand media literacy who have justice frameworks who who have been thinking about the the challenges that seem new but have been going on forever.
0: Mm. oh, thank you so much for that. The problem with the stem versus steam thing for me is always that of course the math
1: and engineering and all of
0: these things should be creative. Uh, processes, right? Like, why are they? Why do we silo them in that way? We're in a multi interdisciplinary, anti
1: disciplinary time period. You know, I've been interested in like the in- the history of public health as a as a discipline. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really exist until relatively recently, like just like decades ago. And it um, mm-hmm. was in response to this this reality, right? That that maybe bringing lots of people together. New diseases are spreading, and we have to think at a systems level. And so public health as a discipline, brought it's not medicine. It, it brought in medicine, but it also brought in statistics. It brought in urban planning. And so sometimes in these moments of crisis, there are some opportunities to, to start to rethink disciplinary frameworks and to say, okay, yeah, maybe we need to think more broadly about technology that's not just an engineering field. Um, but it's also something that's deeply sociological that that requires, um, you know, a lot of um, arts and media literacy. Um, uh, I don't know if we'll get there, but it, it's if, if if there's any opportunity to do that, this is this is the moment to to think about tech beyond um, uh, uh, beyond uh, engineering.
0: Most certainly, yes, and yeah, and and tech and education as it's crept in, whether whether folks like it or not. What are some of the tools that you are are developing um, with the with uh, Miran? And we know that we're in a post, we're already in a post truth, or at least that we're arguing enough about whether there is truth or whatever. Um, so how do we, you know, the media literacy and the arts, Like, what are specific tools that we can can use and how can even technology we can use that, uh, yeah. Well,
1: if we think, I'll, I'll just kind of step back and think about, like, what has the internet been great at? It's been great at spreading media, right, and getting people together, um, for better or for worse, but it's been great mm-hmm. at that. It's been optimized for spread of data, you know, that, that's literally how engagement, right? That's literally how companies advertise and, and it's advertising brings in dollars and that's what makes companies accountable to their shareholders, right? So yeah. you can kind of connect those things. The internet hasn't been so great about is spreading context, um, helping us understand why is this thing showing up on my feed? Um, what What is this message I'm getting? What is this ad? And so so for so long we've focused on the internet as a content machine, um, but maybe the the you know the, the next wave of the internet, if if it's going to be possible, um, could be something around a context machine. Maybe there are ways that we can re- re- you know think about the context in which we're looking at media. Um, and so some of the tools we're building are about that. It's helping fact checkers add context um, to the mm-hmm. stuff they're seeing, right? Uh, the typical thing about the typical like whatsapp group chat, the people are just like posting images and messages, and there's no context behind this. like where did it come from? Yeah. Who's behind it? um like why why is it? why is it here? Um and sometimes that's good, yeah non anonymity is an important part of how the internet works, but sometimes it's yeah. like, well i I'd, I'd like to know where this came from, right? Uh, you know we we get that with political ads, we get that with posters. sometimes we don't, but um yeah. uh, but uh, maybe there are ways that we can bring in the tools of literacy into the internet in a, in a, in a more robust way, such that the platforms are designed for those, um, for that, right? Not just for for sharing content, for maximizing the spread of context, but for also maximizing the spread of understanding. Um, as we've just discussed, that's super complex because um, it's like, who's understanding, right? Who's, who's truth, who's consensus, right? Um, but I uh, but, what I can say is that, you know, from the start, if the internet wasn't designed for that, it's going to be hard to even know what might be possible. Um, so um, that's sort of stuff we're thinking about. And, and right now it's at the kind of level of fact checking. Um, but what if we had more, yeah, kind of more support at the data level um, to help us understand like the context of things, right? Like, I think it's really easy to understand in the context of, of the pandemic, um, like all the conflict around like, should we wear masks or should we not wear masks? right? Yeah. This was not an issue of science or or misle or or just just science or just fact checking. it was like, who was I listening to? you know and and at what point in time was I listening to it? Um, there's a whole period of time when the w h o was saying don't wear masks. cDC was saying, don't wear masks. and now it's it's like wearing masks. And it doesn't mean that they were trying to mislead us before. It just means that, Guidelines were being evolving. Ideas were changing. Um, understanding of the virus was was evolving, and so um, without that context, though, um, it it um, it can seem it can, it's very easy to, to imagine like what what it is um, uh, you know other other motives for the mask confusion. Um, but now, well, we still have that now. We still have ma- yeah. confusion around masks.
0: Well, it's interesting too. I mean, how global racism plays into that as well, because there were there were some people who knew about masks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I, it, but that's related to what, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly related, and and there's there's a reason, the you know, you just don't have as many cases in in many Asian countries that had dealt with this before, dealt with SARS, dealt with H1N1, right? So you're absolutely right, and so um, and there's power in decontextualizing it, which which
0: is, I guess, part of I mean, that's back to basic media literacy. Who benefits from from me from me believing the thing that I'm being told? Yeah.
1: Oh no, just how do we bring context to the internet? Um, is a big question. I love that. That's an amazing question. Well, with that,
0: then I will thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. uh,
1: Yeah. It's a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah, for this and, uh, and thank you for your work. Oh, thank you. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's particularly hard right now in the, in the middle of a pandemic, but again, it's like, this is, it's, it can't, it can't be the most, you know, there's, it's hard to think of something more important than Media right now um, because that's, yeah. that's so much often the source of so much of the disagreements and conflicts um, that we're having in society. Not the only thing, of course, but it, it's media, is, it, it's really at the heart of like so much of the stuff we're looking at. So, so
0: well, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Alice. Thank you so much,
1: Karen. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's fantastic.
0: And thanks for listening. Join me on the next episode when I speak with pioneering technology researcher Carl Miller about fake news, deep fakes, and how synthetic media environments are changing our relationship with democracy and power. Until then, stay creative and do be artists.